Courtney. This is Something Positive for Positive People, and I'm here with... Marie. Marie, how old are you? I am 41. What is your sex? I'm female. What is your ethnicity? I'm Caucasian. So, Caucasian, are you like Irish, German, or anything? I'm a mutt. Oh. I mean, literally, my my mom's part Indian and all kinds of stuff. My stepdad, or my dad is uh, Irish, Scottish, German, just a, I'm just a mutt. So we can just say you're other. I'm other. Ooh. <laughs> um, what is your sexual preference? I prefer men. Highest level of education? College educated. All right. Now, where do you live? You can tell me you live in the universe. You can narrow it down to a galaxy. You can narrow it down to a planet. To I a continent. live <laughs> in the St. Louis metropolitan area. Oh, okay. That works. And what is your condition? Um, I have HSB1 and HSB2. And how long were you diagnosed? Uh, about 20 years ago. That is not possible because you're like 26 or something like that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and uh, what is your career field? Can you tell us that? Um, I'm self-employed. I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, wait. What do you do? Ish. Uh, business services. I provide services to businesses. What kind of services? <laughs> <laughs> Can you not tell me that? Um, we can be uh, as vague as you need to be. be well, I'm, that's about as vague as I need to be. Oh, is it like consulting? Or yes, what? you can say consulting. Okay, all right. Sure. No, that's not like a, a kink thing, is it? No. Like, yeah, no. I do these business services? No, no, right. not at all. All right, so um, you were diagnosed for 20 years? Yep. And how did you find out? Well, um, I was actually, it was the guy I was living with at the time. I was in the military and he had went home to Texas and he came back and he actually just had like a couple of little bumps on his lower stomach in like his hairline. And, um, you know, Head hairline or uh, the, ha the hairline hair. going between his belly button and, you know, okay. the good stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, we had, you know, we lived together, we had had sex and then I noticed it and I, you know, didn't think anything about it. And um, he went to the doctor a couple days later and found out that while he was in Texas cheating on me with his ex-girlfriend, that he had actually acquired HSV-1. But it was HSV-1 in the wrong spot. Mm -hmm. So since it was on the front of his stomach a couple weeks later, I ended up with it on basically the front of my stomach in the lower region in my pubic hair. So that's where it all started. Oh, wow. But it was, yeah, HSV-1 originally. Okay, so how did it become HSV-2? Um, just over the last 20 years of, of dating, um, you know, I, I've dated on people who have it, people who don't, and and that kind of thing. And, um, and so along the way, somewhere, I mean, I've had my doctor test me again, and I do test positive now for both. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm sure I got it from someone who already had it. So it wasn't know. really a big deal when you found out, oh, my God, I have the other one too? It was just like, Oh, gosh, okay, no, well, no. Know. No, uh -huh. it wasn't a big deal when I, you know, it was a big deal when I first got it because I was throwing his stuff out of my apartment, you know? Um, so, and there wasn't much education back then. There wasn't internet. There weren't groups. There, there was nothing. And, and there was so much misinformation back then, but at the time it, it was bad, but it still kind of wasn't that bad because doctors always told you, as long as you don't have any blisters, you're not contagious. So anytime I dated someone, I just said, you know, I have this, but as long as I don't have any blisters, you can't get it. Okay. And that's how I dated from that point on. And, and I had no idea about shedding or anything back then. 
So when you were diagnosed, did they give you like a hieroglyphic message saying this is what this means for you or what happened? Um, they basically just, it was a really kind of callous doctor and he basically just said, you know, you have herpes and this is the medication you take and have a nice day. And I mean, I was like, oh my. And so I uh, called a friend of mine who was a pharmacist actually before, um, before the diagnosis and, and she gave me a little bit more information and, you know, the medication can calm it down and whatever, but there just wasn't much information back then, and I don't think doctors really knew much back then about it either. I almost feel like at that point in time, it may have been better because now there's so much information mm -hmm. and there's so much misinformation. So of what you were told versus what you have experience-wise, like what would you say you wish that you would have known when you were first diagnosed versus um, when you were actually diagnosed? Um, well, I mean, I wish I would have known about shedding back then, obviously, because I, I feel bad that I lied to people. I, mm -hmm. I didn't lie intentionally. Um, you were just passing on the information that yes. you were given from medical yeah. professionals. But then, you know, over 20 years, I've realized what not a big deal this is, you know, especially compared to so many other things in life. And it really just doesn't affect my life at all anymore. Um, so I wish that somebody could have told me then that in 20 years, like, this will be the least of your worries. Right. Because when you first, you know, you're in your early 20s and you're trying to date, you know, that's not what you want to hear no. at no. all. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is this is nuts. You know, what am I going to do? And uh, so I, I wish somebody would have told me how, you know, I mean, even back then they didn't really tell you, like, it's the same thing as cold sores. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? They, they didn't tell you that. Well, nobody was scared of cold sores. You know, right. it's... They were, they were scared of herpes. And it's crazy how you tell someone, yeah, I get cold sores. And it's like, oh, okay, it's not a big yeah. deal. But then well, don't kiss me when you've got one. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> and um, now, I don't know this, but if you have cold sores on your mouth, is there still shedding yes. when there isn't? Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So that's and that's important. what that's actually I, I read somewhere that that's the number one cause of new cases mm -hmm. every year is that people have cold sores and and they don't have a cold sore at that moment but they end up giving and I know a couple of guys who have HSV1 only they just have it in the wrong spot well they obviously you know were not getting a blowjob from some girl with cold sore right you know yeah. she was shedding oh okay now um Take us back to when you were first diagnosed. So you got your diagnosis from a cheating boyfriend who was in Texas. When you found out that you contracted HSV-1, how did you respond? Um, I responded badly, but it was at, also at the same exact time that I was throwing him out for cheating. So I don't think I ever really got to, in the beginning deal with that because I was dealing with so much other betrayal and everything else. So I was so consumed in my feelings about, you know, him cheating on me and, and losing him and kicking him out that I, I don't think that, you know, it was just kind of like one more thing on the pile mm -hmm. versus if I would have just been finding out and having nothing else going on, then I probably could have dealt with it better. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was no focus at that point in time. It was just everything. Yeah. So. All right. So there's all this stuff happening. You find out, like, what did you tell anyone? 
Um, I told my best friend, who, like I said, was a, a pharmacy assistant, and then... Um, oh, that was your best friend. Yeah, well, okay. it was my best friend back home. I was still in the military. And then I actually told my um, best friend, who was in the military, who also lived over there by me, and um, it actually turned out that she had HPV. So she was a great resource just because it was like, oh my gosh, like I'm not the only one. Now she never would have told me that she had HPV, except I was breaking down. So I, you know, tell her that I have HSV. And so it, you know, even though it's not the same thing, it just for a moment makes you feel not so much alone. Yeah. yeah. And cause you're like, oh, okay, well I'm not the only one dealing with stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So. so that's the first person you told, right? Yes. Okay. So her response to it was... Oh my God. Like there was kind of a shared sense of relief Mm -hmm. knowing that the other person wasn't alone. Um, How was life for you after your diagnosis? Well, like I said, it was a big breakup and stuff. So for a while, it was just, you know, no dating, no nothing. Like I didn't even want to, you know, you date somebody for a couple of years, you're living together, you know, you kind of take a break after that. Um, And like I said, dating after that wasn't really a big deal. Because of the misinformation, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I would date someone new, if I decided to go there, you know, just tell them, hey, you know, but as long as I'm not having any blisters, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, okay, let me know if you have any. <laughs> That's guys, though. <laughs> like, guys are always, like, we'd just be, mm-hmm. oh, okay, we'll take whatever you say as the word. <laughs> like, yeah. we're still getting laid? Cool. No <laughs> issues there. All right, so how long did it take before you began dating again? Um... I don't know, probably about a year before I actually started, like, seriously dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I've never been a huge dater at all. I mean, I, I even to this day, I date maybe one or two people a year, see how it goes, and it usually goes for about two weeks, and I'm like, no, nah, this isn't going to work, you know. And, and so it, a lot of times never even gets to the conversation of HSV because after two weeks, I'm like, oh, you're not a match for me. And so, and then, and a lot of times I just kind of take some time off and do my own thing. And I figure out if I stumble across somebody, then I stumble across somebody. And if not, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. So now when you meet guys, are you meeting them online? Are you meeting them just out and about doing your own thing? How do you find yourself in situations where you are dating someone? I do try online dating. I've done a lot of online dating um, just because it, for some reason, makes things easier. Because, you know, when you meet people out in town you don't necessarily know that they're single or you know or what their intentions are you know like and people do not approach me i mean men hardly ever approach me now i've I've, mm -mm, oh the way you said it it was (laughs) just like men never approach me women do (laughs) no um but then i'll meet people later on and you know say at a friend's event or something i meet somebody and then i'll see them somewhere else and they were like well i didn't want to approach you because i didn't know if you were single well, I didn't know if you were single, so I wasn't giving you the eye. You know what I mean? And so it's like that weird kind of, you know, nobody's getting anywhere because everybody's afraid of everything. Yeah. But, you know, if you go on a dating website, um, you, you get a lot of weird stuff. But at the same time, you know, when you do meet somebody who you think you might have some kind of connection with, at least you know they're single. Well, you mainly know for that the they're single part. for the most part. Uh, every once in a while you've got somebody in there that's Someone not quite dishonest. They're not quite honest. That's two families. Oh, yeah. My goodness. What's the craziest dating situation you've been in? Like when you, say you meet someone online and you go out, hang out, and you find out like this isn't going to work. What is it that's making you feel that it isn't going to work? 
Are we talking first date or the first We're two weeks? We're talking about your first two weeks. Before you cut this person off, what makes you say this is not going to work? Oh, well, I mean, like, a lot of it's personality issues and stuff like that. Um, it's just, you know, I, I'm i a, a certain way, and there's, there's a handful of things that are really important to me. And if I'm not getting that, if, like, if you're not doing that handful of things because you want to do them in the beginning, we're probably not a match. Can we have an example here? So, um, I'm a phone call girl. Like, I like to talk on the phone. I want to hear your voice. I'm not a texter. I have lost so many relationships after the first two no, you can't even call it a relationship but after the first two weeks because you meet people who live their whole life looking at their phone and it's like no I want to do stuff or talk to you or whatnot and so you know and, and I also don't want to be in a relationship where I'm asking for the same thing over and over and over again and I'm trying to change who you are mm-hmm. you know if that's not in your DNA to like want to talk to me on the phone we're probably not a good match right you know um, also, you know, no couch potatoes, you know, I mean like I'm, I'm a couch potato during the week for the most part, maybe hit a happy hour or something, but you know, I, I want to go to see live music. I want to go to the park and go for a walk. I want to go do stuff. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate, but you know, I want to get up and do stuff and, and some people don't want to at the same time. There's some people that want to be gone all the time and that's probably not a good mix either, you know? I, I don't make it to closing time at the bar anymore. I'm tired. I feel like you just read an entire <laughs> dating profile description of what it is. I've that written you are it enough times. Looking for. So Marie, let's touch on the medical industry then versus the medical industry now. So back then, when you found out you contracted herpes two decades ago, which I still don't believe you're that old, um, you were told that you don't shed i mean if you don't have sex while you have an outbreak then you're fine now over time obviously you realize that wasn't true so the information that you received then versus the information that you've received or that you know now like how did you come to acquire that knowledge um well i mean like they gave me you know valacyclovir or whatever to cut down on outbreaks and 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 they told me that if if you had severe outbreaks that were you know frequent enough that they would give you the daily suppressive so I lied and said that I had frequent severe outbreaks so that they would give me the suppressives and uh and so they did and and I remember it was probably about I don't know probably like 13 14 years ago because I know it was you know a good six seven years after I you know first acquired it that I'm just sitting there watching TV and a Valtrex commercial comes on and it says right there that you know you can spread herpes without having symptoms and I'm like what and so I mean that was a big shocker for me because that's how I learned about shedding so in the fine print at the bottom of the screen it didn't say even through taking Valtrex, it may be possible to spread herpes to others. I remember seeing that very, very small disclaimer at the bottom and then at the end of the commercial where they speak really, really fast and yeah. say all these uh, side effects or whatnot. So at, that goes to just show you, like, from the time that you found out, it was, oh, you can't spread it if you take this medication to when I first heard it. And this was before I had herpes. Like, I remember seeing that commercial mm-hmm. And hearing the disclaimer and seeing the disclaimer at the bottom saying, 
even though dot 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 it may yeah. still be possible to spread yeah but I, I mean you know the taking of the daily suppressives does reduce that risk and so that's why I still take them I mean I haven't had an outbreak in over a decade but I still take the suppressives every day and I always will um, because I want to make sure that that risk to somebody else is as low as I can make it right um, and it's very important to know that the risk is lowered and not eliminated yeah but, I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that, I mean, you'll never eliminate the risk. It'll yeah. always be there, and you're never going to know exactly when it's going to be. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that you can do, and a lot of people don't know that over time you become less contagious. The virus becomes less active um, the, the longer you have it, especially if you're not having outbreaks and, and that virus is just living in your nerves and your lower back, and, and it just, once it's kind of dwelling there, it doesn't come out very often. Now, is that because of, like... A development of the immune system, or is part it just of it is the, the immune system gets dying. Or what? Yeah, no, the immune system gets stronger. Um, the suppressives, you know, kind of keep it in place, and you know, it, it just the the virus itself is less active over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, anything I can do to to kind of like keep reducing my risk is, you know what I'm going to keep doing. So I'll keep taking those blue pills for as long as I have to. I don't care, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you said you first were diagnosed, you said that it was on the stomach, abdomen, well, it was, line, it was, uh, it was It was in my pubic hair. Uh-huh. Oh, so that's where it was. I'm yeah. thinking like just no, under it was, the belly button. I was no, like, no, no. It was it just under, okay. well, it was, you know, kind of halfway between his belly button and his, you know. But, um, but it ended up being, yeah, down in my pubic hair is where I got it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so it hasn't spread. Like there's, is it, so I was on Reddit today. Mm-hmm. And... Someone asked if you have a cold sore and you, I guess she was spitting on her hand and masturbating, can you spread herpes from your mouth to your vagina? You uh, the look on your well, face right it's now. Skin, <laughs> it's skin-to-skin contact, and that's uh-huh. what people need to keep in mind. It is strictly skin-to-skin contact. That virus dies as soon as it hits air um, or, or whatnot or goes on a, on a surface or whatever. So if, if your skin is not touching my skin when I'm shedding, you, that, that virus cannot transfer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's just it's just not going to happen. Okay. So besides the medication, are there any ways to reduce the shedding? Reduce stress. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, to reduce outbreaks, I don't know if it actually reduces shedding, but I mean, I would assume that if you're reducing outbreaks, you're probably reducing shedding, shedding as well. Um, you learn pretty quickly with this that when you are highly stressed, you are going to have an outbreak. Yeah. And so if an outbreak stresses you out, you're going to just like keep the cycle going. So, you know, you learn to not sweat the small stuff, do some yoga, take a walk, um, you know, and, and really kind of get over yourself because if you're going to be worked up about everything, you're going to have outbreaks continuously. Yeah. Um, so that's the best thing that, you know, kind of try to keep a healthy diet and that kind of thing. But anything you can do to reduce your stress will help tremendously. Those articles that I see online... Um, you can find them just about anywhere. These five foods reduce yeah. outbreaks. Like, are there any foods like that, or is it just more so a thing of making sure that you're getting good nutrition? 
well, taking think, care of your body. I think the healthier you are, the healthier your immune system is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, so you try to eat healthy, eat some vegetables, you know, get your vitamin C or whatever. Because if your body's healthy, your immune system is going to be stronger too. Um, but I don't have any food sensitivities, sensitivities myself. Um, I have heard people say about um, nuts and those kind of things. And the reason for that is arginine. And a lot of people don't realize that arginine... Um, and I'm probably saying that word wrong, but um, but it actually can aggravate it and cause more outbreaks. Um, that's why we have a lot of issues, and I've talked to different people in the past who, um, men who use supplements, a lot of those supplements are really high in, high in arginine. There's actually some articles in Men's Health and stuff that I've seen actually when I was helping a friend with some stuff, um, and he couldn't figure out why he was having so many outbreaks because he had never had them before. Well, he was taking these supplements that were high in arginine, and all of a sudden, he was having outbreaks left and right. Got off the supplements, wasn't having them anymore. Now, let's go ahead and throw that disclaimer in here that we, neither of us are medical professionals unless that's yeah. like what you actually do in your consultant. You know, consult no, medical. No, right, okay, no, okay. no well, that's like I said, I read it in Men's Health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's just a matter of going out and seeking information and I mean, this is 100% just based on our experiences, so let me just make sure and throw that out there. And be careful where you get the information from, because a lot of it is just flat wrong. Um, I always suggest the CDC. If you CDC? want numbers, yeah, the Centers, Centers for, for Disease, Disease. Yeah, Centers okay. for Disease Control. I mean, like, it doesn't get more legit than that. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, I base a lot of my personal information off of their numbers, because you can read article after article, and if it's an article about somebody's personal experience... Great, because that's their personal experience. But when they're spouting numbers, you know, you better make sure there's a, a qualified basis to those because, you know, there, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So much. Mm-hmm. And as someone who, you know, if you get diagnosed, the first thing you want to do, you want to find some sort of assurance. You want to mm-hmm. be like, oh, am I sure? Or you want to find a cure. You don't want this. You want to get rid of it. Like all those things. So people are desperate to find information that tells the story that they want to hear. So it's like, oh, well, if I just do these things, then I won't spread it or it'll go mm-hmm. away or whatever. But the main thing really is to educate and inform yourself, you know, find the experiences of other people or um, like Marie just said, uh, check out the Center for Disease Control for all of the stats and numbers and go from there. Um, there was some other uh, information that you had. You were talking about HPV a little bit. Uh, what did we say? This was oh. before we started. Um, well, we had talked about some different things and, and you know, in dating, you know, you try to, I mean, I've, I've dated people before that said that they didn't have anything and you send them and you say, Hey, you know, you need to go get tested. You need to go get it. And if you say to the doctor, please test me for everything, they're going to test you for five things. And that's syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, AIDS, or HIV. HIV. And I don't know what the other one is, but it's not the full 10. So oh. you have to actually request the 10 panel in order to get it. Um, and that will include everything. Do you but, know why they only test for those five? Because the rest of them, there's not much they can do about it, and they don't consider most of them life-threatening. Mm-hmm. So they they test for what they can cure and what they find to be the most life-threatening. Okay. Um, so there's the different hepatitis and stuff. I don't know which one they test for on the five panel, but you're not getting tested for all of them unless you're getting the ten panel. Um, 
And so a lot of people, they're going to get tested and they're, you know, the doctor's giving them a clean bill of health and they think they're good to go. Yeah. What they don't realize is they were never tested for herpes at all and because most doctors just consider it a skin condition. And then what they also don't understand is that there's no valid um, test in men for HPV. Yeah, there's, I mean, I women can get... I didn't know that. I didn't know that men... But there's a vaccine for HPV now, right? There is. Okay, mm-hmm. so as long as women get their HPV vaccine, or even guys too, what? But I, look? I'm, I'm pretty sure the HPV vaccine is only for certain strains, and there's like 80 strains of oh. HPV. And I, I think it's geared, I, don't quote me on this because I could be totally wrong, I'm not totally educated on HPV, but... Um, but I'm pretty sure it's only for certain strains that it will block, and those are the cancer-causing strains. And the cancer-causing strains are not even necessarily the wart-causing strains. And so, you know, for men, if they don't have warts, they may not have any idea that they're passing HPV to other people. Um, you know, it's kind of the same way. A lot of people have it, and they yeah. don't have any symptoms. But since there's no way to test for men, you know, no man can can honestly sit there and tell you that he's 100% clean because he, he doesn't know. Yeah, and everyone, well, most, some people take that as, you know, okay, well, we're good, we can have sex, whatever, but I think a more important comment to make here is that not everyone is comfortable with asking their partner to get tested Mm -hmm. or even bringing up the conversation at all, you know, when you're in the moment or when the moment's coming up, like, that's the last thing you want to have, and you just assume that know the person that you're sleeping with doesn't have anything and that's really not always the case i mean look at us <laughs> yeah well most people assume if i don't have any symptoms i'm good to go mm-hmm. and so why would i go get tested if i don't have any symptoms and then even like if i don't have any symptoms there's also a way for you to internalize it as um like a hair bump or something like people mm-hmm. oh will yeah have an, a hair bump and be like oh it's just a hair bump and like psychologically convince themselves, okay, this is a hair bump, I can go through with this, bam. And then later find out, oh shit, that's not a hair bump. Or not even want to investigate any further. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Oh, it, trust me, the first time I asked for the blood test, once I found out that there was a blood test that could tell me the type, mm-hmm. I had my doctor do it. And I would probably had it for 10 mm-hmm. years before. And there was that little piece of me that was hoping all that stuff before that happened was yeah. wrong. Maybe it wasn't really that. Maybe it was something else and and i even got my hopes up and those test results came back and she was like you got type one and two and i'm like oh okay (laughs) well never mind (laughs) now with type one type two what's the difference um type one again not a medical professional just from my experience and everything i've read over the years uh type two more aggressive i mean from what i hear like you might be more qualified than some medical (laughs) professionals well i've educated my doctor uh on a lot of different things because she doesn't know this is not the first time i've heard that and i don't know if it's just that you know like you said we are only testing for the five Mm -hmm. uh more dangerous stds unless you ask for the 10 panel Mm -hmm. and maybe medical professionals are just not Edu- or needing to be educated on the other five because it's not that big of a deal, so to mm-hmm. speak. So, you know, perhaps it's just a matter of out of sight, out of mind. Like, this isn't important, so mm-hmm. wait, there's no need to really educate myself or inform anyone on it because it's mm-hmm. just such a rare ca- occurrence or we don't need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So it's more important for me to be informed on these things um, in the event that I need to discuss this with you as a medical professional well a lot of doctors will tell you the stigma is worse than the disease 
So why even bother telling you? Why even bother testing you when there's nothing they can really do about it? If you have no symptoms, you know, why give you that information and the stigma when, you know, more than half the population has at least one of them? Mm -hmm. So you're not rare, yeah. <laughs> you know, at all. But yeah, a lot of doctors just, they aren't up on it, but why would they be? You know, if they're trying to be up on cancer or, you know, like, you know, serious yeah. stuff, you know, why would they put a lot of time, in, unless they were specifically geared towards STDs, you know, why would they put a lot of time into that information um, when they could be, you know, learning more about other things? So in closing, what do you, looking back, what do you wish that someone would have told you at the time of your diagnosis, the first and second time? Well, really, I mean, I, I guess I just wish that somebody would have told me how common it was mm -hmm. because I felt like I was the one person in the entire United States that was dealing with this, you know, other than the guy who cheated on me or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, you feel like you're so completely alone when you don't realize it's, you know, one in four people have type two, you know, one in five people, depending on which reference you want to go with. And, you know, more than half the population has type one, just depending on which area they might have it in. So if somebody would have told me that I would have never felt so isolated yeah. and that would have been the best thing for me really. Mm -hmm. Now, I think we, I don't think we went into detail about the difference between type one and type two. You said that type two is more aggressive. That's what, that's what I've always heard. And that's all the stories and just people that I've talked to throughout the years. I mean, if you have a cold sore and it's one bump, it's probably type one, but you've seen people that have cold sores that have clusters of blisters around their mouth. It's probably type two. Now that's not a medical opinion in any way, but for most people that I've met that actually have the condition and know what they have, that's been the case. Mm -hmm. And most people have said that type one, if they only have type one, isn't very aggressive. They might have a blister or two and that's it. And that's how my situation was in the beginning. Um, but people who have type two from the very beginning, they sometimes have much, much more severe reactions. Um, so it just, that's been my, my basis. Now you could have type one or type two in either area or on your hand or, you know, you know, get Whitlow. Um, there's all kinds of different things, but you know, for the most part, um, you know, that's what everybody kind of, you know, has come to the conclusion that type one is just less aggressive. Okay. Now having herpes hasn't affected you at all. I mean, outside of the original diagnosis, no. you had so much going on. No. And the stigma, uh, the stigma bothered me for a while. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now it's to the point where I know how many people have it. I know how common it is. I have friends who have it. I have lots of friends who have it, you know, in different groups. And, Yay, and you we're know, friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it, it's not really even anything that I think about. I take my pill every day. If I happen to date someone who says that they don't have anything, then we have the conversation. I encourage them to go get tested, which is not always something somebody wants to do. But, you know, I, I just explain to them, I need to know what our starting point is because right. there's a lot of things that, you know, um, that there are no symptoms for. And so you could have anything and condoms don't help with everything. I mean, even, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm kind of a, a frisky girl when it comes to sex and I don't want anything in my throat either. You know what I mean? It's like, so a condom's not necessarily, you know, and it's just not as much fun, you know, <laughs> given a, given a, 
you know, oral sex with, with a condom or, you know, so I, I want to know what my start, starting point is so that I can have a real, true, honest relationship and, and not have to worry about those things. Mm-hmm. So I think both people always need to know their starting point. Good. So you would say, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for everyone to get tested or if you are diagnosed, encourage your partner to get tested. Well, actually get tested together would probably even be a more accurate statement so that you have a good starting point sexually. So sex life hasn't changed at all. No. Things are good. No, things are good. Good. Um, it's not as frequent as I'd like, but you know. <laughs> but that's just from you. That's just from that's you. That's because I don't date off. enough. <laughs> well, I mean, people don't want to talk on the phone. Like, obviously, that's the way to get in your pants. So. I know, right? <laughs> and I tell people that. So, like, you'd think that they would want to, but no. Just so much effort to be on the phone. I know, right? Even though your phone's right in your face. Like, why do I want to talk on it when I can just I, use my fingers? I find it exhausting to text. It It is. It's Especially horrible. because, like, you're more than likely doing something else while you're doing it if you're not with the person talking to them or on the phone with them you know we live in a society where you're praised for having a lot going on at once for being able Mm -hmm. to multitask all right i'm sitting here i'm reading the book i've got headphones on i'm also texting and i've got the tv on in the background and i'm watching the news or something Mm -hmm. like that's the just the world that we live in so to be able to find someone who's willing to sit down and focus and do one thing at a time have a phone conversation and be in that phone conversation Mm -hmm. is something that's rather rare so yeah i'm all about being in the moment whatever moment that is whether i'm watching a movie or i'm talking on the phone or i'm having dinner um but it's talking on a podcast exactly right but it's a hundred times harder to find somebody who's actually a personal match for you than it is to find somebody who's okay with age. I mean, like, it, it just really is. That's a really good point. That's a very good point. So, say that one more time, just for everyone else. It's it's literally a hundred times harder to find somebody who's a good match for you personally than it is to find somebody who's okay with age. I mean, over 20 years, I have dated, I have disclosed at least... 40 times, mm-hmm. you know, you have to figure, um, at least 40 times. And I think I had two run for the Hills and both of those were when I was younger and they were young and, and, uh, so there wasn't, you, there wasn't a lot of information. You yeah. gotta shoot your shot. Yeah. Um, I have had people who want more information. I have had people who wanted to take things slow and make sure that it was relationship before they took that risk. Mm-hmm. I'm all about any of that, you know, um, but, uh, you know, as far as anybody having a really severe, oh, wait, I can't do that, um, you know, that just never happens, really. Yeah. But disclosing is one of those things. If you make it into a huge, horrible thing, they're going to think it's a huge, horrible thing. So, trust me, I did disclose before bawling in tears that, like, it's the most devastating thing in the world because I was so afraid to tell them. And so, of course, if it's this horrible thing that's making me ball, then no, they don't want it. You know what I mean? But if, if you're realistic about it and, like, you know, these are the facts, this is how it is, you know, and just tell them, you know, the risk and kind of remain calm about it, then you're probably going to be okay. Good. Okay. You'll be able to have a sensible conversation about it at least. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's an important topic as well i mean that can just be that can be a whole entire different show on just disclosing uh, do you have any tips for 
anyone disclosing to a partner. Like, would you say, for me personally, it's been easier as I've told people close to me, mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, this is something that's happened. Like, I'll tell, I've told friends, first people to found out were my mom and my grandmother because I woke up and I was like, what the fuck? And got driven to urgent care. <laughs> but um, it was, it, it, it gets easier each time. And um, telling someone close to you who you don't have to worry about judging you. So, like, do you have any starting tips for people who might be like, nope, not telling anybody. I'm going to be single forever. I'm not going through that. My, um, I, I, not a lot of my friends or family know, um, per se. But, uh, you know, my biggest things are stay calm, know the facts. Mm-hmm. Because if you know that one in four people have this, you know, one in four people have HSV-2. More than half the population has HSV-1. So if you're sitting there talking to someone who's doing online dating and they have had at least four dates this year, <laughs> then they have already met someone who has it, whether that person knows that they had it or not. Right. You know, so so you're, you're not that rare and you need to keep that into perspective. If you can explain to people, you know... Hey, you know, one in four people have this. 80% of those folks have no idea that they have it. I'm lucky that I know I have it so I can take medicine. So I'm less risk to you than somebody that doesn't know they have it. Yeah. You know, and and so, you know, just get used to those facts and and figures and, and kind of, you know, once you realize that you're not that alone in this and you realize how many people have it, it it's easier to talk to other people about it. Good. So... That is a that's a good place to leave off. I said that we were going to be closing with this, and we talked for like ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I talk a lot. No, it's Can't fine. It. It's fine because I think that the more information that we have, the more uh, resources available, the more factual information that we can come across and spread around the world, uh, the more helpful. So. I'm sure that this is going to help somebody, and really that's what it's about. It's about at least one person coming across this and being like, okay, I can do this in whatever form that may be, whether it be your story or someone else's story who started in the beginning, however. So that's what we're doing this for, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me, invite me into your wonderful home, and sharing your story with everyone who listens to this podcast. You're welcome. It was easy. You think so? Yeah, I talk a lot, so. (laughs) Well, um, hopefully I can get more people on here who have experience with other STDs. And I do want this to evolve into something where I talk about mental health, um, different other disorders and conditions that aren't just STD related. I mean, we can talk about like bone shavings. You're just going to sit there and look like that. <laughs> We've got a voyeur in the room who wants to remain anonymous. We're just not going to say anything else. But uh, this concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People with Marie. I'm going to work on an outro. We'll figure it out.